know, figured out like, okay, how do I play the game? How do I still say, stay me with my own ideas and, and the ways that I think and I feel about things, but how do I fit in enough to work the system to my advantage? My name is Sarah, and welcome to Her Ascension Story, the podcast that proves the world is transformed by every hero's personal adventure. Here we talk about the real and the raw things that we should all be talking about more. So if you want to be a part of the movement of getting real about the deeper, more meaningful things about life, be sure to subscribe and follow and get ready to go deep. Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with Mariah Snow, one of my clients and Reiki students who has quickly become one of my greatest friends. She's a single mom who homeschools her genius kid that can tell you anything about the solar system, even when he was at the age of three. Um, she's an intuitive goddess, a sound therapy practitioner, and she's also a certified therapist in Beyond Quantum Healing, where she can help people connect deeper to their wisdom and healing in themselves. Mariah, thank you so much for taking the time to be here and share your story so we can inspire and impact more people's transformation adventures. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so honored to be asked to do this today. Of course, of course. I'm so excited to have you. Um, So I know we've been friends for four years now, but if we were friends back in high school, who would you have been or how would you have defined yourself then? (laughs) because I know you haven't always been this amazing person that's um, you know (laughs) so enlightened (laughs) well you know it's taken a lot of turns for me Um, I in high school I was really at a place where on my personal journey I was really looking at the world very critically Um, I have always been a very spiritual person. Um, Ever since I was a child, I was just really drawn to anything that had to do with spirituality. And so um, even as a little kid, you know, I was asking for books about, you know, God and heaven and, you know, just um, a variety of esoteric subjects. And so for most of my um, childhood and leading up to high school, really, I was delving into ideas about reincarnation and um, what happens after we die, near-death experiences, those kinds of things. But when I got to high school, I really was looking at what role does the government play in our lives and what does it mean to pledge allegiance to something and really kind of looking at the cogs that move the machinery that shape society. So in high school, I really got very um, interested in the idea of anarchy and chaos. And I was a punk. I shaved my head. My (laughs) hair was every color. I, you know, just was really just kind of like lashing out. I grew up in a very small conservative town in Alaska where Everybody did their very best to not stand out and to be very quiet and to blend in. And I, the 90s, man, they hit me hard. <laughs> I, I was there for it. I was so there for it. The Riot Girls, punk music, um, you know, the alternative scene, 
you know, the whole kind of like, fuck the establishment thing. Like that was so me. And especially women standing up to be powerful and loud. And that just rocked me to my core. The riot girls were just, that was everything to me. I'm sitting in nowhere, Alaska, pre-internet, barely anything on TV. All I could get was like little snippets of little zines, you know, that were, that would kind of circulate their way up there. I mean, those things were like gold to me, you know, being in the middle of like nowhere. (laughs) So I, I really delved deep into that, you know, Um, just really uh, the anarchist cookbook. Like that was one of my favorite books, just things that kind of, you know, picked underneath everything that was really what drove me the most like what is the fundamental truth what is underneath everything else everything seemed so fake society seemed like it was just this glossed over version of reality and so yeah in in high school I it's a good thing I didn't live in a city because I would have just gone like nuts with all of it but um as it was I just had to uh you know, have my little tiny crew. I think there was like four of us in the whole town that uh, were carrying on like this. <laughs> we're our own movement. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So there's a little snapshot for you. <laughs> oh, it definitely paints a picture. So how did you grow from that as you got older? From that anarchist? Um, it sounds like you were really just intrigued for the most part, intrigued about everything and inspired by oh, yeah. change and evolution or revolution. Yeah, you know, because even really back then, I had this sense and this feeling, <clears throat> the most desolate, depressing idea to me was that humanity would just carry on as we were. Like that just broke my heart to think about it. It just felt like there were so many changes that needed to take place and everything was so corrupt that I had this deep inner sense that if we didn't come to a place of at least momentary anarchy in our society, that I really wasn't interested in, in carrying on in society as it was. I just, it seemed so broken to me, even as a little, a young white girl in Alaska, cut off from most um, ideas about what was happening in the world at large. I saw enough, and I think I was just born with this innate knowing that the world was broken and it was that everything was rigged against us and that we were just being patted on the head and told to stay in our little hamster wheel and you know, basically work for the man. And that was just so depressing to me. But, you know, we came out of the 90s. And I think that that was kind of a shakeup for a lot of society. You know, that was a lot for the older generation to get used to, you know, the way that women were acting, the way that people were speaking out, the turn that music had taken, you know, we had the very public what was called a suicide of Kurt Cobain, of course, you know, I'm sure I buy that narrative, but I mean, that really shook a lot of people up and, you know, yet again, 
you know, we had parents and stuff looking at their kids with, you know, fear and intimidation, like, you know, what are you guys up to and what's next? Mm -hmm. And so it feels like after we came out of the 90s, um, and I graduated in 1996, it was kind of this like, tamping down in society everybody's like whoa okay that was a little bit crazy let's take it down a notch everybody you know chill out and there was this real backlash against people who you know were stepping outside of the norms of you know what women are supposed to look like how you're supposed to behave you know things like that so that when I got into college I really saw that um individuality was punished. It was not encouraged. Um, Everybody just wanted the youth basically to calm down and get a job. And I immediately moved out of Alaska as soon as I graduated high school um, to go to college. And I just was kind of thrust into this world, you know, uh, many people who've been to Alaska say that it's basically like its own country. Um, that it doesn't even really feel like it's part of the United States. And I totally second that, Um, especially back before internet was such a big deal. We were so cut off and it's, it's just, it's so isolated in so many ways. It's different now, you know, but back in the day, like we couldn't even get catalog items shipped to Alaska. You know, we were that remote. Um, So coming out of all of that remoteness and kind of this little community where I had grown up my whole life, I, when I got into the States and I started going to college, I quickly realized that I didn't want to spend all of my energy fighting against other people's perceptions of me. I didn't want to be punished over and over and over again for, you know, my shaved head and the clothes that I wore. I didn't want to struggle forever. That's, that's not something that I was interested in. Yeah, yeah, I get that. <laughs> so I kind of like, you know, figured out like, okay, how do I play the game? How do I still say, stay me with my own ideas and, and the ways that I think and I feel about things, but how do I fit in enough to work the system to my advantage? And so I think that that's really when kind of like the chameleon aspect of my journey, like kicked into high gear. And I just you know, I I wore the clothes, I said the right things, I kept my mouth shut when I, you know, maybe would have spoken out about certain things or, you know, stood up for different ideas in an attempt to just, you know, get along and, and to find some measure of success in the world and to have people, what I hoped is that they would get to know me and then I would be able to, you know, be more of my authentic self. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> do you feel, I definitely get that on a soul level in this lifetime for sure. Do you feel like that chameleon aspect um, increased your anxiety at all or increased like your shadow aspect, like the illusions that you had about the world or anything like that? Well, I think what it really did is it sowed this deep, deep, deep seed of mistrust that I'm still working through at this point in my life, all these years later, to have faith in people that if I were my unfiltered, 
totally out there self that I would still be a person worth knowing to the world at large. Um, I just really felt like because I was such a chameleon and I could blend into so many different groups and types of people um, because I have such a wide, wide um, array of experiences and interests and things like that, that I would get to hear what people really thought about all sorts of things mm-hmm. and often what they really felt about my most core identity, my spiritual self was a lot of, you know, judgment and derision. You know, this is when the term new age really started to catch fire and there was so much backlash against that. People just thought it was such a joke and, you know, always made fun of the new age community. And that really just told me that I was not safe to, to, to speak out and to be authentic. And so I just pulled in so tight that there was very, very few, like maybe two people in my life that really knew me as my most authentic and fundamental self. And basically, I just didn't really trust anybody. I I just kept everybody at arm's length and was very careful about what I revealed to people. I was very um, concerned with being judged unfairly for topics that other people really didn't even understand. They didn't even have a true understanding of what they were talking about, but they just knew that it was woo woo or silly or ridiculous or too far out there. And so I think that was probably the worst thing is that I just, I had absolutely zero trust in anybody. Wow. Wow. That's powerful too. So do you feel like, um, you know, you went from pretty much being born spiritual, you know, interested at a very young age in all of the esoteric things, um, I love how you said reincarnation, especially, Um, but so growing up to that and then kind of going into this rebellion, um, teenage years and focusing on the bigger picture of things and trying to figure out how things work and then going into kind of uh, the chameleon mode throughout all of that on your personal transformation adventure and journey. Do you ever feel like there was something that you were born to do? Oh yeah, I I I knew that there that I had to have a higher qual a higher calling. I just when people would ask me when I was a little kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? I never had an answer, but my feeling was always I want to fix things. I want to fix the world. I want to fix people. Like somehow I want to whatever it is, I want to make the world better. I, and it was, it's such a broad calling because it wasn't really medicine because everyone's was like, Oh, you want to be a doctor? No, that's not quite it. I don't want to operate on people, but I want to just make the world better. And so I, that really bothered me for a long time. You know, there's such a focus with children and I hear people ask my son this all the time. What do you want to be when you grow up? And I've always told him, you don't have to answer that. Because that's, that's a lot of pressure. And for some reason, that question sticks with kids. And it really stuck with me. And 
I felt very um, aimless for most of my life. I just, I knew that there was something. I just, I had this intense calling and the only thing that felt right and could consume a hundred percent of my attention was exploring different realms of spirituality. I cycled through everything. I delved deep into, you know, the Judeo-Christian branches and then uh, Buddhism and then Sikhism, Hinduism, uh, witchcraft and paganism, uh, just everything, Judaism, everything that I could absorb about it, every book I could get my hands on. If there was somebody that I knew that practiced any one of those branches, I would, you know, beg them, you know, tell me about your experience. Tell me what this is about. Like, so I, for a while I thought, well, maybe it's some sort of a role in a spiritual organization, but I don't, I don't like to be the boss. I don't like to um, put myself on any sort of a pedestal. I didn't want people looking at me in that way. I, I just, I feel like even back then, um, throughout most of my life, I felt like people are so flawed that that only calls forth, uh, um, it's just too much responsibility. And I, I don't think that a lot of people handle it very well. And it, that was never my interest. It was, uh, I, I never had an ego driven need to be at the front of anything. I just wanted to be a fixer and a supporter and a helper. And, and people would always come to me with their problems, random people in, in society, people come up to me all the time in stores, airports, everywhere I go, people will randomly come up to me and just start talking to me (laughs) about their problems or, um, at least five times that I can think of right off the top of my head. Somebody has walked up to me and said, I have this terrible secret that I just need to talk to somebody about. Would you mind if I talk to you wow. about this? Just completely. <laughs> wow. So then for a while I started thinking, well, I guess because you know, you're, you're pressured so much, you know, you, you, you're 18, you're going to college. What are you going to be? What are you going to do? You have to pick a focus. So because this had happened to me so much, even, you know, pre 18 years old, I had adults coming to me with their problems. Um, the, on and off my whole life. So I thought, well, maybe it's a psychologist. Maybe I'm, you know, that's how I can help people is, is through therapy. So that's what I originally went to school for. And that was a hardcore no. I mean, I love the liberal arts classes, but the psychology classes themselves, it was just like, I felt like that psychology was stuck at Freud. Mm. There was very little advancement that had been made in the world of psychology. It just seemed like we were regurgitating the same old shit from the same old, like handful of old white guys. And it did not speak to the female experience, to the childhood experience, to the world experience, to the experience of people of color. I just was like, this is a joke there. This is bereft. There is nothing here that's even worth my fucking time I'm out and so I quit early on and um so you know I think I spent most of my life just kind of looking and waiting to be tapped and I did child care for many years I was a live-in nanny 
Um, I've taken care of children since I was a child. You know how that is. You know, most yeah. girls growing up, if you know, you're the only girl on the block, <laughs> yep. you're the babysitter. It's totally my experience. So I thought, well, maybe it's working with children. And I, you know, just kind of bounced around, really kind of waiting to be tapped and, and to know it was something that really, um, really bedeviled me for most of my life. Like, what is my one purpose? You know, what is my one job? And I think that's really just what led me to collecting so many modalities, you know, it was like, oh, well, sound heals people and, you know, deeper hypnosis work heals people and crystals heal people. I'm a huge nut for crystals. I have an absolutely ridiculous amount of crystals and I collected them for years, never really knowing exactly what I was going to do with them. And all these different things culminated when I got divorced from my partner of 25 years. Um, we were together since we were in high school and, uh, I realized at that point that I had been working towards and collecting materials for, this point in my life, even all those years ago. And then it just all came together in one big, beautiful alchemy. Wow. It's amazing how that works, right? We, we feel like we're aimlessly going through life and that we're constantly searching and we feel like we're on time and in line, but things just aren't lining up. And then all of a sudden, like things just, it hits you like a train and you're just like, oh my gosh, like I finally understand. I needed all of these experiences and all of these tools so that I can now do this big thing that I am here to do, that I want to do. So what kind of obstacles, I know that there are tons, but what kind of obstacles um, pertaining to your personal transformation process um, have you had to overcome throughout all of that? Well, I, I think that there's three things that I came into this world with. And one of them is <clears throat> the path of the wounded mm. healer. Um, I had a lot of um, physical issues that manifested very early on. And um, I don't really remember a time in my life <clears throat> that I wasn't in pain. Um, my, I was, uh, diagnosed very early on with, um, scoliosis and it was, uh, pretty severe as a child. And, you know, during all those years of growing and, you know, everything just wasn't, um, where it was supposed to be. And, and so it was very painful a lot of the time. And I was really active in sports. I, I did a ton of, I was just, a total nut for sports. I, I was constantly working out. I played every sport that our school offered. And so early on, it was really a lot about, you know, am I just going to stop doing what I love because my body hurts so much? Or is there a way that I can push through this and, and, you know, continue to show up and do my best and, and still find pleasure in it? even though, you know, it was always very painful. And um, I had debilitating migraines that um, sometimes I would lose my vision. 
uh, things like that. And um, I, I think now that that was actually my first um, vaccine injury, because there is some evidence that's beginning to suggest that um, scoliosis can be a, is considered um, with some vaccines as being a possible vaccine injury um, because of the way that it affects the muscles. And I think that really rings true for me because there was many years that I did not have that pain. It was never noticed as a child, but when it presented, it was so severe that even the doctors were like, how is this possible that nobody saw this or noticed this? How did this just basically kind of happen out of the blue? And so that really set up just kind of a whole lifetime. Um, It's, it's been a long journey of a lot of um, undiagnosed uh, chronic illness. Um, People have said things, you know, like at one point MS was tossed around, possibly lupus, um, Epstein-Barr, you know, all these different things. Nobody really knows for sure. Um, A lot of that testing is so uh, ephemeral, you know, it's, it's really hard to get a lot of those types of diagnoses. Um, when you're looking at such a wide range of uh, different things that, you know, don't really paint one specific picture. So that has really been a lot of my journey has been through dealing with these physical limitations and deciding, you know, what role that was going to play in my life. How was I going to work with that? And um, relationship, you know, I, I think I came into this life to work through a lot of my, um, you know, different lives, you know, my bigger purpose through relationships. And, uh, that really explains to me, you know, how it was that I was basically magnetically drawn to my partner at 16 years old. And, and we stuck together through, you know, 25 years of our lives and through some pretty traumatic, um, events that happened. Uh, through both of our lives, specifically a lot of things that happened to him and his family. And that was a big journey, you know, that that was a lot because we are very different people. And it was um, a lot of a lot of work. And I know that we had lifetimes of things to figure out. um, Things that I've uncovered through some of my um, hypnosis Mm -hmm. work with myself. It's many, many, many lifetimes of very serious uh, trauma and toxicity that uh, we chose to work through together in this life. And um, the most difficult part of this is that, you know, he is not conscious of this work and, and this is not a belief that he shares on any level. So it was really a lot of me doing this work and seeing this relationship through this lens um, completely on my own. (laughs) I think that's something that so many so, people can relate to as well right now. Yeah. yeah, specifically right now, it really seems like so many relationships are coming to this head for this, you know, specific thing. And it's a lot. It's, it's really intense, um, especially, you know, when you really care about somebody and you love them and you really want to help them on their journey and, and you see the work that could be done together and, and the heights that could be reached. 
but you know, ultimately really we are only responsible for ourselves and our personal journey. And, and that's really hard as somebody who is so intensely empathic. I, when I know that somebody is hurting, I want to help. And, and sometimes, you know, there's a lot of overreach in that. So learning that balance between, you know, being helpful and being there for somebody and encouraging them on their path. And then also not letting your own ego become involved and in getting a savior mm-hmm. complex, martyr complexes, you know, all these things that, you know, we often carry. It's a lot. It's, it's a big, big journey. And ending a 25 year relationship with a young child was um, absolutely hands down the hardest thing I have ever done. It continues to be a challenge as we work to co-parent and um, it's, it's just a lot. And, and then, and really the third thing I think that I've really had to work through is my spiritual drive because um, the few people that I would ever share things with, um, I've lost a large number of friends. Um, I have a number of family members on my side and then also on my um, ex-husband's side who, you know, if I ever did open up to them or they had any, you know, idea of, you know, what I was into, what I was about, you know, maybe say they see my library of, you know, 400 books. Uh, 350 of them are on spirituality, different paths of spirituality. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) So, you know, people, you know, would come over to my house. They would see I have books on witchcraft. The next thing Mm -hmm. you know, they're not returning my calls. They won't speak to me. They don't want anything to do with me. As a kid, you know, I confided in my best friend when I learned about reincarnation and how amazing I thought it was. Um, She never spoke to me again after that. Um, she thought that that was uh, satanic and that that was ideas like that were of the devil and she wasn't allowed to play with me anymore. Um, you know, so that's really kind of been the other big um, obstacle that I've worked around is that, you know, not very many people are so open to exploration and uh, hearing about these different paths and things and So I would really say that's kind of my big, my trifecta. That's my big three that I've, you know, just kind of had to work around. So how have you coped with all of the changes that each um, peeling back of the onion and each transformation that you've gone through? How have you coped with all the changes that that brought into your life? Well, you know, I think that we all because I see this across so many different women I know of, of many ages. Um, This time is so potent. And for those who are interested in or who follow the idea of ascension, you know, this is really when the heat is turned up. And it was made very clear to me in a series of meditations when I was really praying and I was really asking, what am I to do here? Am, am I to stay in this relationship and just, just power through it? Uh, is, is suffering and unhappiness just part of this process? Or am I meant to leave and start something new? I just, I was really confused about my, um, greater purpose in, in all of that. And there were so many times when I would sit down to meditate and immediately I would hear Mm. jump or be pushed. 
And it was just like everything in my life, just the fire was getting turned up. The arguments were more intense. There was more bad days than good days between us. There was so much unhappiness for me that I just felt like there were times that I felt like I just don't even, if this is life and if this is the way it's supposed to be, I don't even want to be here. I don't want to do this anymore. There has to be something else. This cannot be all of it. I Mm -hmm. felt like I had really come to the end of any work that I could do. There was nothing between us that was going to get better. And, but I was terrified. I'm, you know, in my forties, I have this young child. I had spent all of my, all of his life and a couple of years prior, um, getting my health in place to carry a pregnancy. Um, I had not been able to carry a pregnancy to term before my child. So there was so much work that I had to try to do on my health on my own because nobody really knew what to do with me. And so I had been out of the working world for a long time. Um, My degrees were pretty much useless as far as any kind of a job where I could make real money especially without having to start at the bottom and work my way up over a series of years. So it was like, how do I support my child and all the ways that he needs and support myself on my own with so many things against me? I just really didn't have a lot of confidence in myself that I could pull it off. I, I was just really at a loss, but everything just kept getting so much worse that finally I, there was a day that the words came out of my mouth. I I hadn't even been, I didn't have a, like, usually I like to plan things. I like to know what I'm going to say, especially something like telling someone you, you know, want a divorce, but it just, there was one day when I had just had enough. And for the first time ever, because I never used those words, um, you know, to end an argument or to, you know, be dramatic or whatever. I just said, you know, I want a divorce and, and I'm sorry, there's nothing you can say that can change my mind. And it just like was forced out of me. And in speaking that one sentence, I felt my entire energy, my whole vibrational field instantly transform in that moment. It was so profound. It was like a, like in a movie when you see somebody hit by a shockwave of like energy from a blast or something. I felt that in my body. It was just like, whoa, it was so powerful and it was so immediate. And then everything just started to crystallize around that statement. Um, Things started to come together for me. There had been no housing options for me. that I I had nowhere to go, you know, with my child. And after I said that word, it just, every single thing started to fall into place. And it was absolutely miraculous. And in subsequent meditations and, and prayer and things, it was just basically shown to me that until I let go and surrendered into the ultimate faith 
in the universe and the creator, you know, in this spiritual practice that I had spent, you know, 40 plus years of my life investing in and working on, you know, before it had just kind of been like my sidekick. It was never, you know, my mm-hmm. like main squeeze, you know, so I, I just, I had never surrendered into, into my faith before that. And it was just this deep surrendering. And when I finally caught on to that and saw that that's what I was being asked to do, that became my, my every minute of everyday practice. Because from the day that I said that I wanted to divorce, uh, we had just re-signed a lease that we were living in a house um, for another year. We were only two months into that lease. So we still had to live together for basically another year in that place of uncoupling, divorcing, you know, working through all of that 25 years of our lives. We've known each other since we were in junior high, you know, it was just so much to unravel, but I had that center. I knew for a fact that I was being divinely supported and that my work was in surrendering and in being present and in staying put and doing the hard work to exit in a way that was conscious and loving and supportive for all people involved um, because there was never a, a, a terrible moment between us or there was no tragedy between us where, you know, something was unforgivable or, you know, things like that. It was a lot easier to um, work through this with him in a way where it wasn't just somebody angrily packing a bag and storming out of the house. And then we try to figure out, you know, what happens after that? You know, we were both still in that house with our child. And th- there, that was just, that was so much, um, you know, work there and so much opportunity to live the spirituality that I had been crafting my whole life, you know, to be compassionate, compassionate, to hold space for another person's pain while dealing with my own and, you know, just moving us all forward in the most loving way possible. And uh, it was just all about surrender, you know, and, and until I took the leap, I didn't grow my wings. I was still just the tiny, you know, frightened little girl on the edge of the cliff, you know, just wondering, you know, what will happen if I jump? I I had no idea. And I think what you said about the surrender aspect and faith, I just think it's so interesting how it doesn't matter how spiritual you are, how much um, soul you try to bring to your life. When you go through life changes like that, that's your, that's your go-to. That's the only thing that can get you through. Absolutely. You have to dig deep and you have to, you know, if, if you're not, and that's why I think it's so common for people to run and hide into something else. You know, a lot of people will, you know, come to a place of approaching divorce, going through the divorce and immediately after the divorce where you see them, you know, take up any number of bad habits, you know, maybe, you know, the, the common thing for a lot of people, men specifically, I think the stereotype is that they start you know, sleeping around, they buy some kind of a crazy car, you know, sometimes this coincides with the midlife crisis. A lot of times I've personally seen in my life, especially because I am in my forties now, I see that it happens a lot of times around divorce. There's so many people I know 
tangentially through Facebook, you know, old people I went to school with and stuff. All of a sudden, as soon as I see them on Facebook with some new car, I'm like, I bet you they got divorced. And within days, there's an announcement. So-and-so, you know, we're getting divorced after such and such years or whatever. A lot of people start either, you know, drinking. I know people who dive back into an old party lifestyle. Um, Women I know, you know, will start, you know, compulsively overeating, shopping, you know, if you aren't going to run into the arms of something else, then you have mm. to root into yourself and into what you know is true for you, which a lot of times some people have never considered that. We don't really know. We have just been kind of you know, you, you live so kind of loud and you're so alive through your twenties and your teens. And those kind of questions are just kind of like, you know, what do you mean? <laughs> what, what are you talking about? Whatever. You know? and, and, and sometimes in, it seems like in your thirties, you kind of like start to crest into that, like, oh, well, what's, who am I really? And what do I really stand for? And, and that only intensifies the older you get. And it's really such a gift to have, you know, the perspective and the life experience to look deeper and ask yourself those deeper questions. And hopefully, you know, you can do this within, you know, your regular everyday healthy life. And it's not just a crisis that brings you to this point of asking these questions. And it's, it's hard to remember because, you know, our brains are wired for pleasure and for security. That's everything that the whole way that our brain works in concert with our ego is to keep us happy and secure. And so we constantly seek out the pleasurable experiences and we seek out the experiences that make us feel secure and comfortable. And it's hard sometimes to remember that, you know, the hardest, most heart-wrenching experiences and journeys that we go on bring us to these places of profound revelation and light and growth. Because in, when you're yeah, in the sure. middle of it, it feels like shit. It's scary. It hurts. You're sad. You're confused. You know, it's sometimes there's not, mm. you know, sometimes the perfect book falls into your lap or the perfect person comes into your lap to help shepherd you. And sometimes that does not happen. And you really do feel like you're just kind yeah. of out there in the wilderness of yourself all alone. And it's difficult. But when we look back on those experiences, you know, now that I'm a year outside of moving out of my home and all of the experiences that I had spent so many years thinking I could, I could never make it through this. I I can't, I told myself for so long, I can't do this. I can't be on my own. I can't take care of myself and a child. I can't, I can't, I can't. That's all I thought. I, I just had no faith in myself that I was going to be able to pull this off. And I thought for so long that I had to do it all on my own. And that has absolutely not been the case. I've been so supported by people in my life. Um, specifically, my parents have been incredibly generous. 
And I saw, you know, that was part of my healing journey is that I saw there are people I can trust other people. There are people that want to help me. There are people that genuinely care about me. And, and I, you know, I had a hard time with that for a long time and I, I never wanted to ask for help. I felt like that was being a burden that it wasn't, you know, that people wanted to help me that they would just see me as a burden. And so, you know, it's just all these journeys that you go through that seem so terrible at the time. And then when you come out the other side, you realize I would have never done it any differently. Like every single part of this had to happen the way that it did to bring me to this place of profound transformation and growth. And every single part of the story had to be just the way that it was. And, and I have so much gratitude for my journey and, you know, the years of unhappiness, the years of physical suffering, you know, all of that. I see now how it shaped me. And I just, oftentimes when I say my prayers of gratitude, I cry almost every time I, I see the plan, yeah. you know, you can never see the plan when you're in it. So, you know, I see the plan now and it's just, I'm just so grateful and I'm sorry that I spent those years feeling victimized and, you know, that I was just (laughs) sent to the wilderness to suffer. Okay, everyone, this is just part one of an amazing conversation with Mariah Snow. Be sure to check out episode two, where she talks about how she now makes her impact by being a certified beyond quantum healing therapist, by helping people in such amazing and powerful life-changing ways. And of course, stay tuned for more episodes with more guests from all around the world talking about their transformation stories that are so relatable to all of our stories. And also here, like I said in episode one, we talk about the real and the raw things about life, the the things that are meaningful and deep that we all maybe keep inside of us and we need to talk about more. These things are normal and we feel so connected when we can actually get raw and authentic and vulnerable. So if this is your thing, then definitely subscribe. And like I said, stay tuned for part two. I love you guys. Chat soon.